listening to Double Exposure with Sophia Lemon and Petro, a photography podcast on both the creative aspects and business side of photography. Join the conversation now on Facebook at Double Exposure Show Group. And here's Petro and Sophia. And we're back. This is Petro and Sophia Lemon on the Double Exposure Show. Yeah, what? Episode forty-six. Ah! <laughs> hey, I bet I bet you thought I screwed up. I was wondering. Um, no, welcome back, everybody. This is episode forty-six, Double Exposure Show. Uh, you can find the show notes for this episode on doubleexposure.show/episodes/forty-six, and we want you to join our community on Facebook in the Double Exposure Show group, where you ask questions and we take some time to answer them. But eventually, we do. <laughs> and once in a blue moon, we will actually answer them online. I mean, on the air, on the podcast. What is this? This isn't really air. Ah, uh, whatever. I think it is they what still it call it the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. On the air. Um, well, technically, everybody has wireless internet or is streaming this through like their data network. So it's the air. Uh, today, we're talking about Sophia. What are we talking about? We're today? talking about shit we learned in school that didn't do anything for us. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of talked about it. And and to, to expand a little bit more about this, it's um, <clears throat> things we learn in school that we tend to take to heart. Mm-hmm that we te- we tend to take as sort of law or rule and Ugh. don't tend to stray away from it but really kind of should. Ugh. So um <laughs> now we did request people um uh tell us what kind of things we wanted to hear on this episode uh, or on any future episodes. <clears throat> and uh last week we answered Teresa's mm-hmm. question. Uh we also had a we also had a question from Tomas uh, Kisil. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, and he says, car and nature photography with iPhone 6 tips. <laughs> Better yet, cars in nature. Um, I know Thomas, he's a very much a car enthusiast. So uh, I get where he's coming from. Um, and I do kind of want to talk a little bit about this down in the, in the episode because it brings up a really good uh, question about locations. Now, I, this, we're not really going to talk about location scouting this week. We, we want to do that uh, on another episode and we have a special guest for that. But uh, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the importance of location and, uh, you know, kind of going the extra mile. So we'll, we'll get into that as we kind of start our topic. Um, but you know who we haven't heard from or talked to in who? a while? Stevie Cake. <laughs> Are we calling him? <laughs> we should call him. Uh, I think he's driving to, or he's driving back from Chicago right now, I think. <laughs> uh, I forget. He told me yesterday and I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> he, uh, but he's been, he was gone for three weeks. Uh, he wasn't hungry. Yeah, he texted me that he was listening to my other podcast when he was in Hungary. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> yesterday he said he didn't listen to a single double exposure one. <laughs> Probably too long. Oh, jerk. <laughs> Wait. We're we're the creative directors behind it, so um, send us your feedback if you think that the show is too long. It's not too long. Better yet, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, good times. Mm-hmm. So, on that note, um, let's move forward. <laughs> what was your week like? What's new, Sophia? <laughs> 
that's that's what you've been doing. It's pretty boring. <laughs> Um, are we are we past your nap? Time? Yeah, we are. We're like in the middle of my nap okay. time right now. So right. I have a busy week. So it's uh, no, you so don't. Your busy week doesn't even compare. It's it's Tuesday now, and we usually release the podcast on Wednesday. And I don't think we're going to release a podcast tomorrow because I'm going to Godrich for a planning meeting in the morning. And then I'm working my way back to Tara, where I have a final consultation for a wedding. And then I have a ball game at 7 o'clock. So by the time I get home, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be tuckered out. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to work in two different coffee shops tomorrow. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking there's no way I'm driving all the way home from Godrich and then driving all the way back to Tara because that would I'd be like you know, retracing my steps a little bit there. So yeah, um, and I'm tired. I accidentally went for a run this morning because I picked a setting on my treadmill that I didn't know what it was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, I guess that is an accidental run. I was going to say, how do you accidentally go for a run? <laughs> Put your shoes on, you go outside to pick up the mail, and then you're all of a sudden running, yeah. and you're like, what's going on? <laughs> That's an accidental run so right there. I did that. And uh, yeah, tired. I have. So do you, do you have some kind of weird game where, you know, like the floor is lava or something <laughs> where once you put a setting on your treadmill, you just stick with it and you well, run? I mean, it, <laughs> you can't turn it off. It wasn't like a bad idea that I did it. So right. I just went with it. Well, this is I it. I guess I'm running I, I picked a different <laughs> set. Well, it wouldn't have been a run if I left it at the original setting. Uh, but the original settings on the treadmill are like super duper easy. So it would have been a slow walk and then mm. a moderately slow walk and then a Roger. moderate walk. <laughs> but I turned it into a fast walk and Fine. then a moderately slow run and then a jog-ish. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <clears throat> and when we're recording this, the long weekend is coming up and I have a barbecue that's going to be fun. I mean, I am having a barbecue. I'm hosting a barbecue, which I've never done before. You're actually having people come to your I place? I know. I, as an adult, have never hosted a barbecue. I think I hosted, like, drinks at my apartment in London, which you were at. <laughs> I was yeah. at. Yeah. But there was only, like, three of us <laughs> at it. <laughs> there was four of oh, us. Okay. Come on. <laughs> No, actually, there was more than that. I think there was at least half a dozen. I don't know. I know they're not like <laughs> tremendous numbers. Well, there's but... going to be like maybe. No, there's going to be like 10 people at this, maybe 15. But it's going to be interesting because it's like people <laughs> I play ball with. So they drink and I don't really. So there's going to be a lot of Sophia, you need to have a drink. You you need to have a drink. Like <laughs> right. two weekends ago, I was playing in this ball tournament and some of the guys on the team was, were like, you need to have a drink, Sophia. Like, do you, like you need to, like, just, here, have this drink. <laughs> like, go and get me out. Well, they care about your hydration. Oh, it makes my sense. goodness. Your, your performance <laughs> is based on how hydrated you are. So drink. Uh, well, I only, I only had one drink at the tournament. I call that a success. Roger. But I might have two this weekend. I might have two. Since I'll be close to my bed and won't have to drive. <laughs> If you wake up somewhere else, 
Yeah, we want to know what happened. So my parents are <laughs> away on vacation as of this coming weekend. And the neighbors can see the house from where they are. So my parents, mm-hmm. well, my mother texted my neighbor saying, we're going on vacation. Keep an eye on Sophia. So I get a text message <laughs> from the neighbor saying, I am coming to all parties. It is my duty. <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, okay. So 11 people is what you're saying. <laughs> and his wife. 12. <laughs> nice. Headcount complete. <laughs> but there's going to be burgers awesome. and deliciousness and a fire and, and. So like going to McDonald's. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know kidding. what McDonald's you guys have in Kamoka, but. <clears throat> We- <laughs> the one that's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yes. It's good times. No, actually, Kamoka is famous for a little place called the Little Beaver. <clears throat> like, it's constantly getting on the top 10 list of places to visit in the London what area. Is it? And, and it's not really that good. Oh. Like, the, the food's not great. It's very bland. Um, I don't know. I really don't know what it is. I can't figure it out. It's like, it's as if people who write these things do not have taste buds. <laughs> Um, and if you're in Kamoka and you're listening to this and you're like, what, this is like a national treasure. <laughs> um, I feel really sorry for you. <laughs> um, yeah. By the way, so we, in, what? yeah, huh? I was going to say in our area, we only have three places four technically that we can go and grab a bite to eat or have some drinks mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, little beaver is, is the only one that's not licensed. They can't oh serve alcohol, which whatever, that's fine. You know, like if you're going out for breakfast or lunch, that's. Not a big deal, but what I never understood is that how this place is actually so well known. Like, like they make milkshakes that people rave about, and I had it, and it sucks. (laughs) It 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 tastes better than like a drive-through fast food milkshake because it's actually real ice cream and all that. So I'll give them that. Um, The only thing I really like is the fact that you can order a pie, (laughs) and they'll make you like an entire pie for like twelve dollars. So like a a coconut cream pie there is just super delicious and it's only 12 bucks and it's fresh and that's awesome. <clears throat> but I'm sorry, their breakfast is terrible. Like how do you, how do you screw up eggs? You know, By the of- way, we should probably trade um, visits where you and Hannah should come up here. I don't know if you would bring the baby with you. Um, well, we would have to. It would be up to <laughs> you, right? I don't know if you'd like at some point want a vacation from the baby. <laughs> that option yeah, is available you point. can also bring the baby with you <laughs> um we would love to go somewhere without the baby but right now you're, well you're not at that uh, point hannah, yet, are you hannah is the baby's food yes. source <laughs> um she's con she's she's eating her little bit oh by my little God. bit <laughs> um because there's a nice place up here called the williamsford pie company and they have really good sandwiches and like cupcakes and pies and stuff so I should take you mm. there. But also, I feel like I need to have a visit down there soon and possibly record a podcast. And, That'd be awesome. and you should find a new place for us to go eat food. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I'm good at that. <clears throat> Done. It won't be Little Beaver, trust me. Okay. It may be um, in September and I'll go visit <clears throat> one of your classes. That'd be awesome too. Come on down. We'd love to have you. I still want to do a live podcast from the class. Yeah, that'll be fun. So, anyways. so, um, guess what's new with me? Uh, Mia. <laughs> yeah. 
She's <laughs> awesome. Like I said, she's sleeping through the night now, which is kind of weird. I guess it's a little early. But the coolest thing is that whenever I put her on my yes. chest, um, she lifts her head up and holds it up for like five, six seconds at a time. <laughs> and then it just slams down on my <laughs> chest. She's working but out, man. I don't, I always thought, oh, yesterday she did a push up on my chest. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> Her head goes up and then she pushes her body up with her little tiny arms. Aww. And I'm like, kid, you're going to be super freakishly strong, <laughs> I think. Because uh, about two weeks ago, she actually rolled over on my mm-hmm. chest. Like, this isn't supposed to happen yet. Um, everybody's telling me, you know, oh, my child didn't raise their neck until they were three months old or whatever. And I'm like, this is kind of yeah. freaky. But hey, it's a lot of fun. Um, still a learning experience. And she's been the center of my attention and really kind of everything I've been doing lately. So I'm happy with that. Yeah, you guys have had it pretty yeah. good as far as babies mm-hmm. are concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, might make another yeah, one. We'll not see. like a horrible transition uh, or anything. So that's nice. Well, everybody says too that like, oh, your first one's the best, and oh, it's it's a horror show. Really? And I'm like, you know what? Why yeah. would it get worse? You know what? It's <laughs> um, well, apparently everyone is different. Every single pregnancy is different. Well, so. okay, that makes sense. But yeah. if it's consistently the first baby is the best, and then after that, it's like a shit show. Yeah. Everybody who's <sighs> had a, a really scary. good baby said that their second one was bad, or or no. compared to the first. Maybe they got cocky. Bad. Nobody's ever said, yeah, <laughs> maybe. I mean, nobody's ever said, oh yeah, all of them have been great. <laughs> But. Well, maybe by the time they had the second one, they had already entered that phase where like they're remembering their past better than it was. And Probably. so all they're remembering of their second child is that it was definitely worse than the first baby. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <sighs> but uh, what are we note, talking about? Um, you know what we're talking about is things we oh, learned in right, school that, that we e- either don't do or that we shouldn't take to this is going to be fun this is going to be fun now a little disclaimer this is not me telling you that you shouldn't go to school because uh, me being in the educator position i'm actually uh, especially if you listen to the last uh week's episode there's a lot you can learn at school that will help you for the rest of your life uh especially with you know the technical skill and the discipline that it takes uh uh, to become a photographer and good at business. But uh, there's a couple of things that I think a lot of curriculums, uh, and I mean, you and I are both a product of the same environment. We both went to uh, Fancher College. I uh, went 2001, 2002, 2003, uh, because back then there was actually a, uh, a certificate program where you actually majored in a an area of study. Uh, we had a choice between... Uh, photojournalism, portrait, commercial, and general. So you could literally (laughs) major in general photography, which is kind of odd. And so I have uh, a diploma from Fancher College, but I also have a commercial photography, sorry, advanced commercial photography major. Um, Show hmm, Right? So, uh, all, all it means is I paid more money and spent an extra year there to be at the same level that most other people are already. (laughs) But, um, you know what, even, even uh, I have to admit that the program looks a lot different today. Uh, even though I've exited, uh, that scene, 
six years ago, and I haven't been there for six years. Even in my time there, I saw a lot of changes. And today they're, they're doing things a lot different than they were a long time ago when we were students. But uh, I'm sure that there's still things here and there that they're not just them, but all photography programs teaching where we kind of take it to heart and we set it as a default, as a rule, and we follow that to the rules, so to speak. So um, without f- further ado, I think I'm going to let you take the reins on this and just uh, oh, go. <laughs> um, the first thing that I wrote on here was Dreamweaver, <laughs> which is like not really related to photography, but we talked a little bit about letting go last week and, mm-hmm. um, you know, having a web developer build your website. And when I was in Fanshawe, we learned how to build a website with Dreamweaver. And I ignored that part of the class because at that time I was already aware that Dreamweaver was an outdated way of building a website. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I sincerely hope that no one is teaching students how to build a website in Dreamweaver now. I I would love to find (laughs) out. I don't know. But you never know. (laughs) Uh, It's... so funny yeah. enough, you when when I was a student, um, we built a website in our third year, mm-hmm. uh, and we actually had a web class, um, which which was uh, kind of eye opening, and it really was marketed as a this is your online portfolio. Mm-hmm. Oh like, yeah. Oh okay. All right. That that yep. makes sense. And uh, we learned how to use Flash and Premiere. Oh, sorry, not Premiere. Yep. Dreamweaver. So <laughs> so Flash. I mean, if you have an Apple device today, you're not even going to be able to view any content that is Flash. Yeah. Which, from what I understand, started out as a dispute between Apple and Adobe. Probably. And and then Apple's just like, you know what? F you. Well, I don't know if it was <laughs> really a dispute f- so much as Steve Jobs was probably like, no, we're not going to put that on yeah. our devices because it's useless. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, we learned how to create a website in Flash, and we actually had to create two websites: a Flash website and yep. a oh my god, like can you website. imagine? Can you imagine living back in the day <laughs> when you had no, to build two websites instead of just one? Because why would you just build one <laughs> when you could build two? So my, my question was like, why wasn't just HTML not good enough? Because <laughs> it wasn't flashy and it didn't slow down your computer. Right, 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 right. So a lot of redundant shit for nothing. And I remember Um, when Flash was like the photography platform for photographers, obviously. Um, And some still use it. And there's like animations and music and yeah. Uh, And it's funny because like two years later, when I took web development in university, it was the same thing. We used Dreamweaver. Hmm. And again, I didn't use Dreamweaver. I coded the whole thing and then handed in my assignment. And my teacher's like, why are you here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny thing with, with my uh, instructor, I went on to form a partnership and we, uh, we worked together uh, after I graduated um because she actually had her own company that did a lot of web design and she herself said like i really don't know why i'm teaching you this like (laughs) we're you know uh she didn't use flash um back then and i mean she did a little bit with it for clients desires but yeah anyways so 
<laughs> Moving on. Okay, can again. I go again? Are you falling asleep? No. Yes, go. <laughs> okay, three to one. Oh my God, kill me now. <laughs> what? Mm. What was the point? <laughs> I, I really don't understand the the concept of a ratio or, or having to measure. Um, the, the, reason, the reason for that is because like you you it's such a visual thing like if i have like two tenths of a stop less light or more light but it looks good and then i pull out my light meter and i go oh yeah it's not quite uh one stop yet so let me just uh adjust this fill light a little bit more to make it one stop you know so if like why why bring math into art? Okay, I understand that there is a room, <laughs> a room for it, um, that everything. But but you're absolutely right. Now my biggest issue was with the three to one ratio itself. Oh my god! The fact that the three to one lighting ratio was being taught as something that is one stop apart. And this was a little bit of a pet peeve of mine because when you're talking lighting ratios. And your key light or your main light is at a certain power and your fill light is uh, one stop less. The light ratio of your key light to fill light is two to one. And um, it's it's only good if you are working with multiple people. Uh, so, for example, there are businesses that hire me in Canada whose corporate headquarters are in U.S. And they say, okay. Uh, this is our photographer in uh, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, he is going to tell you what we do. Mm-hmm. And he'll call me and he'll say, okay, I use um, uh, a savage background. Uh, I use a uh, uh, medium stone or whatever it's called, light stone or whatever, color paper. The subject is five feet away from the background. Um, the background light is behind the subject. Uh and I have it at uh, f8 or whatever. It's like whatever. I don't care. Um, and then uh, you know, then he'll say uh, the reading uh, with the little eyedropper tool in Photoshop. The reading around the subject's head is somewhere around 140. Okay, and the RGB section, if you will. And um, then he'll say, okay, my, my key, my, my key to fill ratio is, uh, four to one. So then I know kind of what the density of the shadow will be. And so I will kind of roughly set it up, but I never really measure it. I go by eye. I go, he'll send me a couple of samples of the headshots of the corporate headshots they'll take. I look at them and I just set it up exactly the same. And it, it's very easy to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So I never really measure to make sure if it's four to one or if it's two to one, but the four to one ratio that he's indicating is the fact that, okay, my key light is two stops brighter than my fill yeah. light. The whole three to one was just kind of like the ideal setup because it was, uh, the key light was just a, a, a little bit more than a stop brighter. So basically like one and a half stops. And, uh, it was, it was better that way, but the way they taught us, so this, we're the rare product of the same environment, is they taught us that three to one lighting ratio was one stop difference. And they sent us out into the real world where we did work with some professional photographers, like you, for example, mm-hmm. where they immediately told you, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
you know. So now the argument for this was really stupid, um, in in my opinion. It was like, well, the the light from the fill light adds to the intensity of the light from the main light, and therefore it's no longer two to one. It's now three to one. Well, it, you can't do that because if you're making a salad, and I said the ratio of cucumbers to carrots is two to one. So for every two cucumbers, you add one carrot. You can't tell me that, well, see, because the carrots touch the cucumbers, <laughs> they're technically turned into cucumbers. <laughs> so now there's actually more cucumbers than carrots. Like it doesn't make oh sense, right? You can argue with me all day long. It just does not make sense. So stop teaching it this way, please. I'm calling you out on this. If you have a problem with this, whatever. So you know. The, the other thing is that if I did a true three to one portrait and I did a true two to one portrait and I held them side by side, mm -hmm. most people would not notice the difference. Most people would. So there's know. that. No. Um, and I would also like to add like my next point is light metering. And okay, yes, I get light metering when you had film and you literally couldn't see what you were doing. So you metered mm -hmm. the lights. And you did the same thing over and over and over again. So you, when you meter the lights, you knew what you were getting on your film. And I even get it when you are working with someone in another country or you're trying to reproduce the exact same look very specifically over and over and over again for a one particular project. Light metering makes sense. In practically every other instance, light metering is not necessary especially no. since for example you and i will shoot on aperture priority for natural light stuff mm -hmm. i have no need for a light meter <laughs> no exactly light meters well, first of all light meter for me is only useful in the situation where i use flash yep. and i quite often will need to mix flash with uh, ambient mm -hmm. light and so I have broken out my light meter a couple of times last year just to do that, to speed things yeah. up. In the studio, I literally, I plug in my lights and I set them. And as soon as I hit the button to uh, fire the strobe, mm -hmm. I can tell you what the reading is. Yeah. I've been doing this for so long that I know what F8 looks yeah. like at 200 ISO, you know? Um, <laughs> the only other time uh what is is when some when you're working with people so if i'm working with assistants who are setting up lights for me because let's face it the, the take a page out of my book when i shoot weddings i like to outsource when i shoot commercial f f uh product photos for publications uh photos for fashion whatever it is when i shoot in a studio I like to bring other people in to do some of the work for me so that I can just focus on photography. So I can just focus on exposing. So when I need a memory card, uh, I can call on somebody to get me a memory card. If I need my lens switched, I can call on somebody to grab me a lens. If I need the background to be replaced, I can call on somebody to replace the background, blah, blah, blah. I can also call on them and say, can you set up a, a beauty dish for me? I need it to be uh, F4 at uh, 100 ISO. If they're not used to the intensity or whatever, then they can just put the light modifier on the light. And with a light meter, they can get it to be F4. Mm -hmm. Now, half the time where they set up the light, I will take a look, you know, how the uh, light models the, the shadows uh, on the face. 
and I will move it closer further away. And now I'm either doing mental math in my head where it's like, okay, well, I moved it about 50% further away from the subject. So I need to either bump up my ISO or, you know, turn up the intensity of the light. Or I just ask them to turn it up. I'm like, you know what? It's got to go back a couple of feet. Can you can you give me a little bit more power so I can be at a four again? It's it's really easy uh, to do on the fly with digital photography. You kind of get that instant gratification. So yeah, light meter is kind of obsolete, really, if you think about it. But it's great when when I have assistance. So I'm defending it only in the fact that you don't have a camera in your hands to test yeah, it. Yeah, sure. So yeah, you need it. Yeah. Right. But really, let's face it. Um, I can tell you right now that probably out of 20 people I can, uh, that I have in my phone book that are photographers, if we call every single one of them, maybe one of them uses a light <laughs> meter still. Um, <laughs> I don't use a light meter mostly because that's just not how my brain works. My brain with photography does not work mathematically. So if I flash yeah. the light meter, I'm just going to stand there and stare at it and be like, okay, now what? <laughs> um, so but you know, fate. <laughs> but my argument against it at the same, at the same um, time and in most situations is that you're a photographer, you're trying to produce something that looks good. And if what you just photographed doesn't look good, you should be able to fix that without using a light meter. <laughs> um, right. And when we use light meters to create three to one, I would argue that the three to one portrait didn't really look that good. Like it was. No, an, it, it does not. It, it, it looks very evenly dated. Lit, That's the yeah, problem. It was an evenly lit photo in black and white on a gray background. Like it wasn't good. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, it's not the lighting ratio. It's, it's the subject yeah. matter and the location and everything like that too. Right. So it's your, your ability as a photographer is sometimes crushed by the fact that you're photographing a very poor subject. Right. It, it is what it is. So silly. So, but I do, I do want to add something. What? what? If you are learning photography and if you are, um, if you really did take my advice from last episode to heart, where you need to develop more technical skill in order to uh, be a more efficient uh, producer, getting a light meter and learning how light works, uh, how the intensity falls off, how different uh, modifiers give you a different... um, uh, t- intensity of light with the help of a light meter may not be a bad idea. De- it depends okay. on how you work, right? So if you mm-hmm. work well with a light meter, then use a light meter. But if I would say if you're going to school <laughs> and you've never used one before, you probably won't need it. Correct. Probably for like most portrait photographers. People who are going to end up in the studio might be a little bit different, but... Yeah. So, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the three to one or really it should be called two to one. Any, uh, any ratio. ratio. Portrait. <laughs> anyway. Well, the, the closer ratio is very difficult to tell. Um, me personally, I shoot a little bit more closer to, I would even say eight mm-hmm. to one. So where it's a three stop difference. Um, and if you if you do any research, everybody will say to you, like if you read anywhere about this, because I, d- I did kind of try to compile some information about this a while back. Um, 
somewhere between two to one and four to one is sort of the commonly used uh, ratio for portraiture, and it and it is it becomes three to one, right? Seriously. And y- yeah, it's it's the most common light ratio used in portraiture. Um, oh my God. Now it's not the best looking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's just the most common, and the reason for that is because we tend to overlight things. Mm. So that's that's the number one thing on my list. Um, when we enter the photography school, um, we are shown an amazing variety of lights and modifiers and everything galore. And what we tend to do is we tend to then you try to use all of them. So we're like, okay, well, we got to have a key light. All right. We got to have a fill light. Oh, the fill light doesn't do anything. Okay. I need to turn it up. Oh, our professor told us that we need to use this ratio. Okay. Let's make this ratio. Okay. Now let's make a background light. Let's make a hair light. Let's make a kicker light. And Uh. we tend to overlight things, right? And so you introduce this amount of light where you can no longer control it, right? Because it's just too much. And now you have to edit the crap out of your photo. So my advice to kind of expand on this a little bit is baby steps. Start with one light. Learn how each modifier shapes light and how it, how you can control light with it. Um, we Our most instinctive thing to do is to take, let's say, uh, a softbox or an umbrella and point it directly at our subject. Now, we then look at what we get and all we see is whether it's either too bright or too or too dark for us nobody's actually looking at the shadows you know how am i how am i controlling these shadows are they a little bit too cookie cutter you know maybe i need to kind of change my modifier or move the light back or closer and so really all of this kind of comes into play. So before you start over lighting things, because, you know, your lighting instructor showed you how to use five different lights at the same time, go back to basics and start with one light. Um, What would be the perfect modifier for you, Sophia? Do you think you should start with uh, an umbrella or a softbox or a beauty I pretty much do the same thing all the time, which is butterfly lighting with a light box. Okay. So you have a look. Hmm? You have a look. Yeah. Yeah. And that's cool. There's nothing. <laughs> I guess. That. It's not a like well, fancy, unique look. Well, it's but it pretty. is it's a style yeah. that it's yours, yeah. right? It's it's what you do. It's, I certainly didn't come up it's with your it. Go-to. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, and I'm not trying to give you too much credit here, but Thanks. Yeah, you know, but like I said, <laughs> we tend to we tend to overlight things. Yeah. That's that's the issue. So <sighs> You um, said one. I've, what? I've had students in my um, class, unfortunately, uh, who they're the sort of the absent students where their brain is somewhere else during the class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll show them a shoot through umbrella, for example. And then they'll take the equipment out and they will use a shoot through umbrella, but they don't take the black material off the umbrella. And so they're using it. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So they're so they're shooting through the umbrella, but through, but going the wrong yeah. way. Yeah. You know what I mean. Um, and so. That's fantastic. Yeah, and, and so they're turning it up to full power, and this this is actually pretty hilarious. So I, I won't mention any names, but uh, a lot of people listening to this probably might know who it was. 
So this individual uh, turned the light all the way up to the point where, and, and they pointed the umbrella the wrong way, so they thought they were shooting through it, to the point where the light being so intense just basically lit up the whole room and bounced back and used the room as just a giant softbox. Okay. So <laughs> this person was exposing her subject, or his subject, really, uh, this person was exposing the subject with with the flash <laughs> that was coming back as bouncing from the room, and it was the most beautifully lit portrait. I, I can believe that. Like it looked so good. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Doubly diffused, if, double bounced yeah. light. <laughs> like like it was awesome, and it was just one light source, and and it was awesome. And of course, this individual came to me and said, look at this. This is really like, like, look at my light. It's awesome. And the problem is that the next time this individual went to shoot the same thing, they remembered to remove the diffusion material. And so it actually became a shoot through umbrella. And all of it, and then they're looking at their photos and they're like, okay, well, I have the exactly same exposure. I did exactly the same thing with my light. But my frame is complete. Is just pure white. There's actually no no subject in it. Was it blinding the subject? Of course it was. I think the subject actually got a suntan on like half of their body. Um, so I can't make this up. This actually happened. True story. And and I feel bad because because I I actually didn't have the heart to say like. You, you fucked up last you kinda, time. You, yeah, you fucked up your, the first time. Uh, but uh, it ruled <laughs> and it was awesome. And, uh, yeah. So, the, and the problem, the problem here is that that's what we're doing. We're taking everything literally. So we're like, okay, well, we, these are the rules we have to follow, right? I have to set my camera at I, I'm in the studio, so I have to set my camera at ISO 100. Well, do you know how often I actually shoot at ISO 800 in the studio? It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um because I want to control my lights because I want to do stuff with them. And, uh, in my studio, I have a, I have a background, a paper backdrop, backdrop, uh, about 30 feet away from the wall behind me. And the wall behind me is just painted white. And my fill is literally, um, a light with just a reflector on it pointed at that white wall. So when I expose with the key light, that, that wall becomes a fill light. Well, Sometimes if I'm looking for that kind of like um, natural light look, that becomes my light. That mm-hmm. becomes my kind of, um, what do you call it, uh, key light. And I show this to my students because I'm trying to tell them, you have to start thinking outside the softbox. Okay. And it's kind of like a, a term that I coined sort of, you know, copying, think outside the box because we tend to gravitate to things right away. Like, because you see it in movies, you see it in pictures, you know, and you see it in class. Oh, well, my instructor used a softbox, so that's what I'm going to use. Start thinking about what makes the light tick, like how you can shape light, how you control light and use it to your advantage. So this is kind of, if, if you can take away one thing from our little, uh, uh spot today or what are we calling this like a little moaning groan session uh venting rant that's it yeah that's what you should take away is that you know you have to start kind of thinking about it um and putting yourself out there and and start trying different things but 
What else you got for me? You said one um, before we started recording that I liked. <laughs> Can you remember what you said? A rule of turds? Yes. <laughs> um, so I totally get the rule of thirds like most of the time, but I have taken portraits um, with the subject. It's, it's a vertical portrait, one subject in right in the middle. And I've, I can even remember having discussions with people where they're like, I wish that this was off to one side, you know, rule of thirds. And I'm just like, it yeah. doesn't, but it doesn't look right in, in a like portrait um, oriented photo of one person. Like sometimes rule of thirds doesn't work. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's what I got. What do you have to say about it? A rule of thirds um, refers to the the balance in the photograph. So when we put a subject in the middle of a... So first of all, majority of the photos are horizontal, right? Like they're, they're rectangular, mm-hmm. rather. Um, they're not really square or circular. <laughs> so placing the subject in the middle has too much negative space on each side. And the problem with that is that we read from left to right, and sometimes when you place the subject uh, in the center, we can cope with the fact that there's negative space on the left side, but the minute there's negative space on the right side, it creates an imbalance. Even mm-hmm. though the photo itself is fully balanced because it has equal sides, it actually creates an imbalance in, in the image. So we tend to, based on the mood we want to cre- we want to achieve, we put our subject either on the left side of the frame or the right side of the frame on the upper 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 third or on the lower third of the frame too. And what this does is it creates, funny enough, by being a, a unbalanced, it actually creates a balance by uh, creating the mood of the photograph. So it either introduces negative space where um, it controls. Uh, Sorry, I'm being distracted because somebody just came over. <laughs> <laughs> so it by by leaving a lot of negative space uh, on the left side, right? Since we read from left to, to right, it creates sort of uh, an environment of emptiness, right? Kind of, it makes the environment seem grand. It makes the environment seem a little bit bigger. Um, if you go vice versa, you fill the subject, you fill the environment with your subject first, and then depending on how you position them, there's there's the rest of the picture, so to speak, right? Yeah. So depending on the mood that you're trying to create, depending on the story you're trying to tell, is where you would put the subject either on the right side or the left side. Also, you know, if it's a portrait and they're not facing at the camera, but they're facing away, uh, you probably, if they're facing to the right, you'd probably put them on the left side of the, of the frame. If they're facing to the left, you put them on the right side of the frame. So they're constantly facing into the frame. That creates a little bit more balance, funny enough. Now, there's a time and a place for this. However, my favorite thing is horizontal portraits. Um, I say that to my, to my students all the time, and they tend to hand in horizontal <laughs> portraits like the entire semester, where it drives me bananas because I'm kind of like... Uh, just because the fortress is horizontal and you put the subject in the middle doesn't make it like well yeah. done. We need to like actually explore other <laughs> options here. <laughs> Let's learn uh, other creative aspects of this. Uh, however, I do like the fact that people are thinking outside the box. And the problem I have with the rule of thirds, 
period, is that just because you learn the rule of thirds doesn't mean that you have to frame every single freaking thing using the rule of thirds. <laughs> like, let go a little bit. It, it's the same thing that I said last week. Learn to let go. Learn to live outside your comfort zone because there's a really good chance that you can actually achieve greatness through breaking the rules. And the fact that it's called the rule of thirds is, is sort of just... You know, like, come on, give me, give it, give me a break. Why is it a rule? It's not a freaking rule. It should be a suggestion of thirds. <laughs> so let's change it right now to a suggestion of thirds. Done. Okay. That's what we're calling it from now on, people. <sighs> How about background lights? Background yeah. lights? Unnecessary. I'll leave you. Uh, and hair lights unnecessary <laughs> so you you are you're absolutely correct like i i go back to the whole one light thing mm -hmm. and the reason i do that is because you can you can pretty much light 99 percent of everything with one light um and, the, and if you learn how to use your key light properly and you need to introduce separation or hi highlight something totally cool but just because you learn how to use it doesn't mean you need to use it in every single <laughs> thing. So in our studio, we have a gray backdrop up most of the time. And that's it. If we want it darker, we bring the subject further away from the background and we yep. manipulate light so that it doesn't hit the background. If we want it lighter, we light the background then. Okay, so sometimes if we need a white backdrop, we are actually shooting onto a gray backdrop. We're just lighting it white. Now, if we're doing a full length, uh, full length portrait and we just want to have a little bit more control, then what we'll do is we will actually use a white backdrop in that case. But it's very rare. We don't do a lot of full length portraits on white. I mean, it's kind of cheesy mm -hmm. um, unless they ask us. But yeah. Background lights are, are really not necessary. You're absolutely right. People always ask me, they're like, okay, I'm shopping for, for lights. What should I get? Well, I'm going to need a hair light, a background light, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whoa, stop. I'm like, you need two lights. <laughs> if you're just starting out, you need two lights. If you want additional lights for whatever reason, by all means, but this is your bare minimum. Like if, if you're on the budget, get two lights, get them to be get them both so that they're both exactly the same intensity so they both use exactly the same flash tube the exactly the same modeling lamp and the parts are interchangeable uh because i know that uh, with companies like uh alien bees for example paul c buff mm -hmm. stuff uh their lower uh intensity lights like the b400s use a different flash tube than the b800s so to save 50 dollars and get one of each you're not doing yourself a favor Get either both B400s or both B800s, uh, just so that stuff's interchangeable. You can get one spare flash tube, things like that, you know, but you don't have to go big. So you're absolutely right. Um, so the suggestion of thirds, super duper important. Um, <laughs> but moving on with lighting, um, I see a lot of people... Um, start out and they're they're just photographing things for the sake of photographing and all of a sudden at, at some point they figure lighting out and 
they go from like really harsh looking portraits to really nice, beautifully laid soft portraits and they don't stray away from it. From now on, every single studio shot is very soft. It's very well lit, but it's very soft. And then they'll do kind of an editorial shoot or whatever. Um, and I find this spills over into their other photography, like wedding photography or whatever. And they just edit everything to be really, really soft. <laughs> There is, a, there is a time and a place for that. And I think um, where this comes from is uh, the, a lot of the instructors will comment. They'll be like, could be a little softer. It could be like the light, not, not the image. Like you don't want soft, unsharp images. But it uh, could be a little softer. It's too harsh. You know, it's too harshly lit. And that's it. That's all they learn and they get trained. And all of a sudden, from now on, nothing is ever harsh. Well, there's a time and a place for that, even in weddings, even in portraits, where you, you, your mood basically can be better illustrated. Your story could be told better by having the lighting a little harsh. So you need to start thinking, what is best for my final product, rather than, well, you know what, I photographed this at noon uh, in an over, overhead light situation, and it's just too harsh. So I'm going to have to reshoot this or how about we go here in the shade and, re, you know, just get out of the, the direct sunlight. Sometimes your story can be told with exactly where you are, with exactly the light you have. And that's kind of how you have to take it. So uh, stop taking these rules to heart and having them control your final outcome. You really need to start thinking outside the yep. box. Um yeah. Do you know you know the time when you can't read your own writing? <laughs> yes. This is it. Well, we had a good run with this episode, and I think we can probably save some for a future episode, because this is going to happen again. Well, you're just tired, and you don't want to uh, talk about I it. I am tired. But that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, a couple of other things I'm just going to add as we're, as we're going to wrap up is for some reason, at some point in your professional career as a student, you're going to learn selective color. <laughs> you're going to learn how to isolate a certain color from the rest of the image. And, you know, like picture a bride holding a bouquet of roses and everything's black and white but the roses. For the love of God, stop doing this <laughs> stuff. Nobody likes it. It's shit. <laughs> Just because you learn how, just because somebody at school showed you how to do it, doesn't mean you should ever do it, okay? Stop. Dear people, I dare you, I challenge you to send me at least one selective color photo that looks good. And, I'll, and I'm just going to save you all time right now. There aren't any. It's a trick challenge. This, it doesn't exist. So... Um, that's, that's what I wrote down. That's what I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, in conclusion, what I want to say is that, uh, I think both you and I are in a position where we're going to say that, uh, a photography college program is actually a really good idea because it will give you not only the recognition as a, as a, as a photographer, but it will uh, teach you the discipline and a lot of the technical skills. I mean, you'll get what you put in. If you go there and you skip all the classes and come out and saying, I don't know what I'm doing, that's your fault. But if you actually, uh, go through with it and pay attention and take what your professors and instructors tell you to heart and let it impact how you view the world of photography, you will benefit greatly. 
However, if you keep a closed mind and take it all as rules and literally you take it so much to heart that that's all you do, it was, it's going to be very challenging. It's going to rape your creativity, first of all, where you're going to have a hard time being creative and it's going to uh, introduce a new set of challenges where you're going to notice that unfortunately a lot of your photos look very different and not as modern as what's possibly trending right now or what consumers want and the biggest reason behind it is that it's just not regulated and nobody's on the case saying hey we need to start teaching kind of modern techniques and start uh, exposing our students to sort of what's being um, perceived as popular today and until we do that we're, we're going to always have topics to talk about. So on that note, uh, I think it's time to let Sophia go take a nap. <laughs> and if you really enjoyed uh, the last 45 episodes, including this one, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Hop on uh, Facebook in the Doublest Photo Show group and give us some topic suggestions and ideas. Uh, in addition, subscribe to our podcast. And when you do, we also want you to rate it. Give us a five-star rating if you really enjoy it. Love some feedback. If you give us some feedback, if you do leave a rating review, on iTunes. A review. And a review, mm. yeah. Uh, a review on iTunes. Uh, you're, the first 50 people to do so are going to be in a draw to receive the artwork, compliments of Benjamin Edward, uh, a beautiful print, and you'll be able to hang it. Um, now, additionally, if you request... Uh, you can get a 8 by 10 of my face. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> uh-huh. um, yeah, how vain, how vain is that? Um, the soundtrack is provided by Ben Sound, and uh, we've really enjoyed your company. So until next time. Okay, bye.